Pat Vitucci program guests and Craig Roberts are not affiliated with Proxy Freedom LLC or United Planners Financial Services unless otherwise noted on the show. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom is not liable for any third-party content. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Advisory services offered through Proxy Freedom LLC, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, Pat Fatucci, with over 30 years experience in the world of finance and investment planning, with special emphasis on retirement planning. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. My special guest today, Franklin Parrish. Franklin is an estate planning attorney. He's been doing this for many, many years. Not to say he's old. He's still a young guy, but he's got a lot of experience. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. It's a pleasure to be here. Frank, we always get a lot of questions and there's always a lot of confusion about the difference between a living trust, and a will. I think the beginning point, even if a person has a trust, and many people will think, well, a trust is done in place of a will. The answer is a a trust does make a great deal of sense. Uh, I recommend it in most cases, both for married clients as well as single individuals. But one major consideration is even where you have a trust, you still need a will. If you have a trust, which typically the type that we would create for most single individuals as well as married couples is a revocable, meaning you can change it, living, it's established during your lifetime, a trust. It's a separate document from your will. It is a living document. It's effective immediately. And the main point of having a revocable living trust, primarily in California, is one, to avoid probate, and two, to keep your affairs private, allow you to continue to have complete control of your assets. It does not require a separate tax ID number. However, in the event you become incapacitated uh, during your lifetime, you've avoided any need for a court-supervised conservatorship. That is a trust. It is a separate legal document. Whether you're single, you would sign it both as the creator of the trust, the settlor, but you're also the manager, the trustee, and you're the lifetime recipient of all of the income, the beneficiary. And you can also designate in that document where you want your assets to go at death. In other words, it, could, it may continue on for the benefit of other individuals uh, for their lifetimes. It can't go on forever, but it is a way of avoiding probate and keeping your affairs private. Now, comparison, let me just touch on a will. If you have a trust, do you still need a will? And the answer is yes. Why? Because the will typically will pick up any assets that you fail to retitle into the trust. That is called a pour-over will. If you don't have a trust and you have, for example, some clients will have a handwritten will. And they'll say, you know, well, I've done this myself. 
And the good news is you'll never know really whether it worked out or not because you'll be gone. I've seen clients say, well, I could just go online and get a boilerplate will. Isn't that going to be just as good? It may be. But again, they will never know. And the primary point is uh, not always is the case, but pretty much you get what you pay for. And boilerplate arrangements are just as they say. They're a one-size-fits-all. And the one thing I found in nearly four decades of this law practice in estate planning and postmortem trust administration is that size of an estate is not synonymous with complexity. You may have a client with a $500,000 estate that can be a great deal more complicated than someone with a $5 million estate. And it, it involves situations that have nothing to do with taxation. It's mainly in quite often many situations that are personal in nature. You may have a single mother who has an incapacitated child, whether that child is an adult or a minor. And you may need, therefore, what we call a special needs trust, a trust specifically set up for that incapacitated individual to receive governmental benefits without the government obviously ultimately taking over uh, all of that child's inheritance. Frank, you and I have been working together for, gosh, 30 years now. It's been a long time. Most of the controversy I have seen on the financial planning side is family members tend to have different expectations. And it comes down to that durable power of attorney. Who did you grant authority to to make decisions for you should your cognitive skills begin to decline. That seems to be the source of a lot of issues and a lot of controversy. It is a major concern. It's a major point of, I'll say, misunderstanding as well. A durable power of attorney, durable meaning it will endure, and we call in California a durable power of attorney because it's effective, can be, and typically is effective immediately, and it also, quote, endures incapacity. So a durable power of attorney is a power of attorney that's made effective immediately. But the second point is a power of attorney only controls assets which are not in a client's revocable living trust. Suppose you have a married couple or a single client and they name another individual as his or her attorney in fact that client also has a revocable trust, the attorney, in fact, that is the person named under a durable power of attorney to have authority, does not have to be a, quote, attorney at law. So you have the durable power of attorney set up to manage assets in the event a person becomes incapacitated, but those assets are only those which are not in the client's trust. So if a client has a revocable living trust, and they've named a person as his or her attorney. In fact, that person has no authority over his or her trust. So if you have a durable power of attorney, what assets, and you also have a revocable living trust, what assets can that attorney, in fact, control for the benefit of the client? And those are only the assets which are not titled in the trust, which typically would be what? Retirement plans. In other words, the attorney, in fact, can review the investments of the retirement plan, 
can also make certain that one of the key considerations and that you and I see virtually on a daily basis is a misunderstanding or a failure to properly designate beneficiaries on retirement plans, as well as proper asset title. Frank, the other contentious issue that we've seen over the many years is the selection of a successor trustee. Too many times, families will always appoint the oldest child. Maybe that oldest child has some issues. Maybe there's a substance abuse issue. Maybe it's just a personality. They're not able to corral the support of their siblings. It really takes kind of a moderator kind of position to settle the estate. In some cases, in many cases, and in fact, there are uh, different uh, kinds of priorities for each sibling. So you've got to pick the most socially persuasive person, certainly the smartest one. It sometimes isn't the oldest, and it's not the oldest male, which historically, that's what people would pick, how important it is to pick the correct successor trustee? I'd like to expand this just by saying that a, if you create your own trust and you're your own trustee, and then under a will, you have a parallel position that's called the executor. And then, as we just mentioned, under a durable power of attorney, you have the term fiduciary position, which is the attorney in fact. So under the trust, you have a trustee, then you have a successor trustee, an alternate successor trustee. Under the will, you have an executor, alternate executor. Under a durable power of attorney, you have an attorney, in fact, a successor, the same progression. So the key consideration is, as you mentioned, is the thought of naming an eldest child or a friend of my same generation. Quite often, that may not be the wisest choice. Obviously, you want to select someone that you have confidence in, that you trust. I also believe, and I've seen this just from repeated experiences, that you do not typically or that we recommend naming someone of your own generation, because at the point that you become incapacitated, that individual may no longer have competency or may not even be in the same locality. Although living in the same area, that is a geographical area, is not a requirement to be a trustee or a successor attorney, in fact. Well, thanks, Frank. I appreciate coming in today. Any questions for Franklin Parrish, estate planning attorney, give our offices a call. one plan wise That's 1-888-PLANWISE. Thanks so much for joining me today, Frank. A pleasure, Pat. Thank you. My special guest today, Court Chinsis. Court, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. Great to be here. Court, you and I have been chatting of late. The big question is, will we have a soft landing? Are we in a recession? It's always defined some months later when all the data comes in, either crystal clear, we did have a recession, or we're going to have a recession, or we're going to have a soft landing, we're going to have a hard landing. And what ties into this is, Jerome Powell's decision and their, his 13 governors to take a pause this time. That doesn't mean they're finished raising rates. They could always resume. The question on our investing public's mind is, what do they do with the losses, Court, that they looked at when they got their quarter statement? What do they do to mitigate the impact of if it really was a bear market and if it looks like more bullish market? 
Inflation numbers seem to be coming down. By the way, have you noticed when the cost of a barrel of oil goes up, it immediately hits the gas station pump, and when it goes down, you never really see it go down by too much, but that's a whole other discussion. How do you guide clients with the emotion of losing money? Gosh, nobody likes to lose money, but there's that emotional part of losing money that part of risk. Risk is that four-letter word. What kind of dialogue do you have with that client, Court? Yeah, it's a great question, Pat. And when we start to look at it and we're talking to our clients, the good news is it's usually not the first time that we've had this conversation about this. What we try and focus on with our clients is, first of all, we take a long-term perspective, right? We don't want to necessarily get caught off guard when the storm comes. We want to be watching the radar ahead of time and make sure that we're ready for anything that blows in. So one of the things that we do, and there's a couple different strategies, so you want to take a combination of being really proactive and then having a long, long-term long perspective. So first of all, if you're diversified, and you mentioned a couple different things there, you, you talked about commodities, you talked about stocks, we know that interest rates have an impact on bonds, so you're covering all the major asset classes. You want to make sure that you're diversified across those. Being diversified can help offset some of the losses in one area when sometimes you can get gains in another. So we like to make sure that not all of our portfolio is going to move in the same direction. So if the market starts to go down, part of our portfolio can go up. And that's where coming in with tactical asset allocation and making sure that we're staying ahead of the curve and planning for the long term with our clients is going to keep us afloat and help to really minimize some of that emotional impact because we're going to have less losses in the portfolio relative to the market. But at the end of the day, if you've got a long-term focus and you have substantial liquidity, you've got your emergency fund, you can really start to mitigate some of that emotional stress that comes from what's really normal in a market. Markets go up, markets go down. So we're always well prepared for it. We're planning for it. We're talking about it before it happens. So when the storm does come in, um, we've already we've already taken shelter per se. That D word, diversification, I think you nailed it right on the head with a proper balance of all the asset classes, stocks, bonds, utilities, commodities. You generally don't take the major ride down. You tend to have more of a balance. We've talked about this many, many times. For the younger people who may not be retired, may not need access to the cash flow that your portfolio will generate, we've talked about it's frequently a good time to buy. I mean, when there's a Macy's White Flower Day sale on the market and share prices are lower than they were a year ago, isn't it time to buy in some cases if you don't need access to the money? I love it, Pat. And that's just hits a cornerstone of a lot of what we do, value investing. Find us that sale, right? We're going to go in, we're going to find what's on sale, and we're going to buy it at a discount. And we're going to even take it a little bit further. We're going to find the companies that are undervalued relative to the rest of the market. And those are going to be the companies that we lock in on. So show me the companies that are really well run. They have strong leadership. They have good cash flow. They've got strong balance sheets, and during these times when everything goes down, those are the times that we want to get in and we want to buy those stocks because in a bad market, the companies that haven't been frugal, that aren't well run, 
that are maybe being a little bit exuberant in their spending, well, they're not going to recover as well. So they're going to start to lose some market share when the well-run companies can come in and they can start to get that back. So I like the idea of value investing. And when we're looking at a tough market, that's really when we want to get in and we want to hit that Macy's sale, Pat. Yeah, I mean, technical term, what we're talking about is sector rotation. And one of the big faults that some folks do is they, they look at last year or last quarter and say, wow, this area, this fund did great. I'm moving all my money there. Well, that rear investing, we know historically rarely works. And so you want to prospectively look forward. Where are the leading and lagging indicators moving towards? And ideally, you want to move in that direction. But it comes down to, as, as you and I have talked about, Court, behavior, emotional behavior. We're wired kind of a strange way. And when it comes to investing, knee-jerk reaction is sometimes, oh, my gosh, I lost money. I'm getting out. Instead of, oh, my gosh, there's a sale. I'm buying in. So our behavior can sometimes inhibit making smarter decisions. Pat, one of the things that you've been talking about for decades is setting clear financial goals and having a plan. And if you have the clear financial goals, which means you've defined both your short-term and your long-term investment strategy, if you've developed a comprehensive financial plan, it's been well thought out, it's aligning your goals, it's aligning your risk tolerance and your time horizon, you have a budget, you know what your strategies are, your tax planning and risk management are covered, If you have those two pieces in place, that's going to help do exactly what you're talking about with the sector rotation, help you diversify your investments, and then the recessions or the market volatility isn't really going to play in to your short-term decision makings. It really helps to shield you from some of that emotional stress that somebody who doesn't have that long-term plan starts to be very reactionary and may make bad decisions. Now, Pat, one of the things that I remember you and I talking about pretty recently is the average investor underperforms a market by a sizable margin. And there's a lot of theories as to why, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to making those emotional decisions. People start to get scared. The news is putting a lot of things in front of us. The markets are in trouble. People react. They pull their money out. They get away from their plan. So if you have a good plan, you set financial goals, and you've got a well-diversified portfolio, it's going to help you see your way through anything that comes your way. Yeah, I think that's well said, Court. Retirees are really focused on preservation of wealth. They want to preserve their money. They don't want to have to go out and get a part-time job at Walmart as a reader or an Uber driver. We're in studio today with Court Chances. Call 1-888-PLAN-WISE or go to website, don't invest and forget Thanks, Pat. I'll remind listeners of that number in just a moment. But meanwhile, remember that asset allocation and diversification are investment strategies that can help manage risk within a portfolio, but they do not guarantee profits or protect against loss in declining markets. For more information, call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or go online to don'tinvestandforget.com. Let's talk about some specific investment vehicles or strategies that do well during recessions. And there's a handful of them and everybody's going to be a little bit different, which is why, again, I love having that plan. 
making sure you've got the clear goals because then that helps people like us to make sure we've got the right types of investments in our client's portfolio. So some of those investments can can weather financial downturns quite well. We think about bonds and fixed income. Well, we know that high-quality bonds, such as government and investment-grade corporate bonds, they're less volatile than stocks. And when stocks go down, typically we see bonds going down less or moving in the opposite direction. Defensive stocks, things, think about consumer staples, healthcare, utilities, certain parts of technology that are less affected by economic downturns. Um, Some of those specific sectors are the ones that we like to rotate into during periods of market volatility or into a bear market. The reason why is there are certain things that you're going to buy, whether the economy is doing well or not. Think about consumer staples, your paper towels, your garbage bags, your toilet paper. You're not going to stop buying that. Healthcare and utilities, those are going to be things you're using. So we like the idea of being able to rotate into those sectors. Dividend-paying stocks, if you find the right companies that have consistently been able to raise their dividends over time, they have strong balance sheets, strong revenue generation, then that's another good place where you can be. They're value stocks. They've got sound fundamentals. So we want to look at those kind of options too. So there's a lot of strategies, Pat, and each one is going to be very dependent on the individual circumstances of the client. That story that you touched on really tends to keep an investor's emotions in place because while market value may be volatile, it's all about, can I pay my mortgage? Can I pay my car payment? Can I still go on vacation this year, even though the market is down? And that annuity kind of has a smoothing effect, buying into the market or getting out of an area of a market, getting out of a sector and rotating into another sector. You're taking a nibble out of one area and moving it to another area that we think prospectively looking forward will be more participative in the recovery. You touched on some really salient points. And we all know the last 10 or 12 years, the market has been extremely volatile. What are some of the common mistakes you've seen, Court? I mean, we've been in this business for a decade. We've seen some common mistakes investors make during bear or bull markets. How do you avoid them? Pat, I think that there's a couple of things that we can do. We can talk about avoiding, but I also think it's important to talk about recognizing some of the patterns that we see in the markets. I, sometimes we get questions from our clients that say, what should we look for that's going to predict a bear market or a bull market? Well, there's a few things that we look at, one being market valuations. So there's market valuations such as price-to-earnings ratios or different leading indicators like you mentioned, different lagging indicators that paint the picture after things happen. But market valuations and finding when things start to get low valuations Um, Are they suggesting a potential market recovery or a bull market? So we start to look at that. We also look at a lot of those economic indicators, GDP, unemployment, inflation, interest rates, usually hot topics because that's what we see in the media. But we like those because they're good indications of what's happening in a broader broader macro environment. Uh, Market sentiment. There's a lot of studies that are done that assess the sentiment of investors across a market. Um, And that helps give us some insight into investor behavior. So when we see extreme optimism or pessimism, then sometimes that can be a bit of a contrarian indicator. So we've got to be careful with those types of things that we see. And those are red flags for us. 
Um, we also work with a lot of people who focus on technical analysis or looking at the trends in the market. Um, but at the end of the day, markets go up and down and it's tied to the business cycle. So the business cycle has periods of expansion. There's a peak, a contraction, a trough. These influence the market as well. So understanding those types of cycles can provide a framework for assessing the likelihood of any kind of a market shift. It's always interesting to watch the markets and track the sentiment of clients and corresponding and communicating with clients every week through weekly newsletter. But more importantly, actually having conversations, either in person, Zoom calls or phone calls, kind of ease everybody's emotions, keeping the lines of communication open and helping clients ride through the ups and downs of the market. We're going to guarantee to have ups and downs throughout our lifetime. There's no question. Markets don't always go up. And when they go down, they tend to recover. Sometimes it takes longer than others. That's investing and recognizing the volatility of the market and helping our clients understand it and holding their hand through those tough times. I think you hit the nail right on the head, Court. We're in studio today with Court Chances. He's available to meet with any of current clients or if you're a new listener to the show, Court's available to meet in any of Bay Area offices. Call one 888 Court, you'll have a discussion. You'll give kind of a preliminary conversation with a prospect and Talk about some of the things you want to touch on when, when a listener calls in, just a friendly, casual conversation. Talk to our listeners about how that first couple of minutes goes. And then if there's an ensuing scheduling of a meeting, what goes on there? Yeah, that's a great question, Pat. So the first thing that we like to do, and, and you hit it right on the head, is we spend the first few minutes getting to know who we're talking to. People do business with people who they know and trust and... You know, we want to make sure that you know us. We want you to know that what we do, we take seriously. We stay on, on top of what's happening in the markets. We have very sound fundamentals. We preach to all of our clients that it's important to set goals and to have a, a plan. Well, we do too. And we have very specific processes that we follow when we're putting together plans for our clients. Our approach, we take a scientific approach. Um, but we want to also make sure that we adjust that approach to every individual person. So in that first meeting, that first phone call, we want to know more about you. We want to know what it is that you're looking to achieve. And from there, when we get together in that first introductory meeting, um, we continue that part of the conversation. We want to understand what your goals are. We want to understand... Um, you know, what it is that you want your money to do for you. Because if we have a really good, clear picture of that, then we can develop a plan. And once we have that plan in place, then we can use that plan to guide the investment decisions over time. So none of this happens in a few minute period of time, right? We actually want to take the time to get to know who we're working with, what's important to you, What's your risk tolerance? What's your time horizon? What should these dollars be doing for you so we can make them work and get the most out of each individual dollar for you in the long term? Uh, and the more that we get to know each other and when we have our quarterly reviews, which we do with each of our clients, uh, as we get to know each other more, then we start to really be able to help coach on things around emotional decision-making. Um, we start to be able to avoid things like the urge for market timing during tough markets. And we build a good comprehensive strategy that's going to see you through any type of market 
and focus on maximizing your investment dollars and providing you that safety and security throughout retirement. Um, you know, that's one of the things, Pat, that we always like to say here is we focus not just on getting the most returns, but the best risk adjusted returns for our clients. We don't want to be too aggressive. We don't want to be too conservative. There's a proper mix through using various different investment vehicles that allow us to find that sweet spot for each individual individual person and provide them that peace of mind and financial security. Call one triple eight plan wise. That's one triple eight plan wise, or go to website don't invest and forget.com. Court, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Pat. Pleasure being here. And Pat, I'll repeat that phone number in just a moment, but I'd like to remind listeners that dollar cost averaging does not assure a profit nor protect loss. Investors must consider their financial ability to continue purchases through periods of low price levels. To get more information, call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE, that's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E, or go online to don'tinvestandforget.com. been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the Bay Area offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-C. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Pat Petucci program guests and Craig Roberts are not affiliated with Proxy Freedom LLC or United Planners Financial Services unless otherwise noted on the show. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom is not liable for any third-party content. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Advisory services offered through Proxy Freedom LLC, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.